We just wanted to preface the episode by bringing up the fact that this seems weirdly timely, considering uh, both of these films are extremely relevant, given our current circumstances. Um, but the reason we don't get into specifics in the actual episode is because we recorded it over a year ago, and it's just been sitting, you know, on the shelf collecting dust until now because we're uh, lazy. I'm lazy. That's why it's taken so long to get these episodes out, right, Mike? Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, we were going to re- re- release our Babysitters Club and Twelve Angry Men episode, but that just felt a little bit weird to put that out while things were happening. So uh, we just took a two two week break, a fortnight break, if you will, um, mm, yes, to just kind of focus on what's going on, using our other social media accounts to kind of amplify what needed to be amplified or, you know, do some reading, watch some movies, just do what you can do what we could to educate ourselves uh, as hopefully everybody else is doing mm-hmm. because uh, yeah, when things like this happen, you kind of realize as white men, how privileged you are and how kind of easy it is to choose to ignore it. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said, Mike. Um, yeah. So we just wanted to bring that up before this, episode happens and we hope you enjoy it um i know we did making it over a year ago i think it's important to put this episode out during this time of course because we're covering the happening which you know is happening the happening is happening right now we have yeah there's a global pandemic there is a a disease spreading currently across the globe and in Um, many ways in many ways the current uh way that the pandemic is being handled is uh, handled about as clumsily as how M. Night as Shyamalan the film depicts. Uh, yeah, as the film depicts. So, <laughs> uh, so far, I haven't seen any lions eating people on a cell phone, but for the most Not part, yet. yeah, the way that people, uh, and I'm looking at you, provincial, state, and uh, federal governments are handling this, you know, it's uh, it's baffling. So, uh, and then, of course, you know, Do the Right Thing, I think, is a, a, an incredibly timely movie. Uh, in many ways, more relevant now than it. I can't say more relevant now than it was back no, but then. It's, but it's just as relevant, and it's. Uh, I think it's sort of surfacing again to the forefront of people's mind because the the film is so powerful, and the message behind it has been relevant since it was made. Yeah, an older film that, about things that are happening now is in many ways more relevant because it 
is still happening. So it's like the nothing has changed is the point I guess I was trying to make. Mm-hmm. So yeah, do the right thing. Everybody should watch that. If you're a white person trying to educate yourself, watch, do the right thing. It's the least you can do. It's an amazing film. And it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the way that we talked about it, it doesn't come off as disrespectful because I think we both like think that movie is just amazing. So, Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah. I uh, honestly can't remember what we said about the film, Mike. Well, yeah, we recorded it like a year and a bit ago. I but... hope uh, I hope it's, yeah, it's good. But I do love the film. I think it's amazing. And I think it's one of Spike Lee's best films. Did you watch um, Did you watch The Five Bloods, which just came out on Netflix the other no, day? No, I'm planning on watching it tomorrow. Is it good? It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, still I got it. I was reading about it this morning. Sorry? Yeah. Oh, I said Spike Lee's still got it. Yeah, we all thought that uh, he lost it after Old Boy. Well, he, he had a couple duds in there for sure, but... Uh, yeah. You know, also, wait, did he did his most recent film? Did he have to fund it in a weird way, like through Kickstarter or was Netflix? Is it a Netflix production? Oh, yeah. The Five Bloods. It's like Netflix fully produced. It was like 20, 30 million dollars, I think. Nice. <clears throat> so he, he didn't have to like, in Vietnam. sell Kickstarter um, like packages to people and say, like, you can come to a basketball game with me and watch it beside me. I'll give you a ticket if you pay thirty five thousand dollars and contribute mm-hmm. that towards this film. No, thankfully not. But um, cool, cool. Um, and I guess the the important thing is just just to keep the conversation going because what happens is it seems to sort of spike and everyone talks about it and then it just fades away and it leaves the zeitgeist and nobody cares anymore. Yeah, you know the general public just ignores it. Like the fact that Spike Lee made this film thirty years ago and it was super relevant then, and even you and I can watch the film and we're like, wow, that's tragic that that's happening. Okay. And then we just move on with our lives, you know, but now I think it's more important than ever to keep this conversation going and try to keep, keep it relevant in the general public's mind so that change can keep happening and, you know, new policies can be instituted and stuff. Well, also Um, the fact that the, the whole coronavirus thing's happening right now, it's hard to ignore stuff going on in the streets because it's, uh, you know, we're all just kind of, a lot of people are still stuck in their house. Or mm-hmm. aren't able to go back to their job or are working from home. So it's easy. Like normally you'd see some person being killed by a police officer on the news. And then you're like, man, that sucks. That's tragic. But then you go to your your job. You kind of forget about it during the day. And then it just kind of like slides out of your mind gradually. Uh, and of course, being in Canada, not to say that it doesn't happen here. But we, people, uh, you know, when it happened in the past, people weren't necessarily... Uh, free didn't have the free time necessarily to go on protest on the streets totally and, it's, it's you know here in alberta strangely, i think it's been strangely fortuitous that so many people have had the time to spend thinking about this and contemplating it and it's because they're not working five days a week yeah like the the, the five-day work week i think really has silenced a lot of uh, the movement just because people are preoccupied and they're busy and they're just hustling in their own lane, right? Yeah. And now, and now that that's been on pause and it's changing, people have this time to really, you know, have some introspection and and really think about the world we live in and what should change. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like the basically the our capitalist habits. If, if we get to just kind of put them on hold a little bit. Oh, there's all these other problems happening in the other in the world, and we. And yeah, because we're not just desperately clawing at, uh, you know, a dollar bill. 
mm-hmm. every day, then we at, can, at the money, we can pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all that being said, I think, uh, I, I hope you all enjoy the episode. Um, if honestly watch both films cause they're both so timely, you know, the happening is a thrilling, exciting experience to sit through and mm-hmm. uh, do the right thing is a very powerful film that is both like artistically amazing and also the storytelling and the message behind the film is just really powerful and impactful. So yeah, and uh, Spike, ch- check them out. Spike Lee is a very, very like he's not a subtle filmmaker necessarily, but I think that's his strength. No. I think I think that's one of his strengths. Uh, so. Anybody who is I, I would say the to... same for M. Night Shyamalan. Not not to just draw another <laughs> uh, similarity, but M. Night Shyamalan is not a subtle uh, filmmaker either. Yeah. 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 But his sixth sense is not I see subtlety. His sixth sense is something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He goes but, big yeah. or he goes home. And it's often he goes home. Yes. He should go home and think about what he did when he made the happening. Yeah. Sorry, I, I derailed that. Oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Do the Right Thing is a good starting point for anybody who's wanting to get into Spike Lee's movies. I think mm-hmm. it's like one of his first movies, not his first movie, but it's one of his first and is definitely uh, in many ways his best or just such a stone cold classic that you can't like. You just can't deny it. You just can't deny how good it is. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's a good starting point for if someone's just looking for something to watch during this time that speaks to the moment that's like you couldn't think of a better movie same with uh, the yeah. happening <laughs> <laughs> um yeah great so yeah enjoy bon appetit this is from justin mccain a podcast where mike robertson and bob Rue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they're the same everybody welcome to from justin to kane the podcast where we talk about a universally liked film a highly regarded film and a uh generally speaking a universally panned film and then we talk about how they are the same yeah how their anatomy cinematically is one and the same yes how their I'm, cinematic dna is identical yes how the we, physiology of the films is the same Hell yes. I could keep going. We take a very visual medium and we translate it via a strictly audio medium (laughs) (laughs) for no reason, but that's most movie podcasts, I guess. Yeah. Uh, My name is Mike Robertson. My name is Bob LaRue. And this is from Justin DeCane. Uh, Should we get into it? Yeah, let's just get into it. Okay. Well, this episode, it's two new films, two brand new films. As always. Uh, one of which I had seen before and one of which I had never seen, and now I have. And in my case, I had they seen do. both of these films before. What? Yeah. Oh I'm God. a cinephile. Ugh. A cinephile. We're both Ugh. cinephiles. Oh, Ugh. Jesus. It's getting nasty. Um, yeah, so, so what, what did we do this week? So this week we watched uh, Spike Lee's 1989 film, Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other film we did was uh, M. Night Shyamalan's 2008 film, 
the happening. That's right. So far, we've done a lot of. Uh, so far, we've done a lot of. Ans- nope, that's not the word I'm trying to say. Wait, what are you trying to say? <laughs> so far, we have done a lot of um, finishing each other's sentences. Oh, good. Why are we doing that a lot? Yeah, just so far. Oh, it's because we click, man. You and just, I. We just click. Yeah. Uh, should we do a little background on them? Sure. What, what what movie did you do research on? So I researched The Happening, which is, uh, for the record, M. Night Shyamalan's first R-rated film. I did not know that. He was known, really, you didn't know that? No. He was, uh, he was known as the PG-13 guy, the scary PG-13 guy. And then with this film, it's R-rated. He went pretty far. There's some, uh, R- R- by definition, gruesome scenes, but... From a viewing standpoint, very <laughs> underwhelming, both visually, <laughs> intention-wise. Wowee. Yeah, so wowee, zowie. Um, so is that actually true? He has that reputation, as in like he's, someone he, has called him that? Yeah. The PG-13 guy? Yeah. Because oh, wow. every film he makes is PG-13. Even if it's like dark and scary and brooding, it's still just PG-13, which is why they make a lot of money sometimes. Yeah. Because our rated films will, immediately you lose a huge part of the population. Oh, yeah. Who's oh, allowed yes. to watch a film like that um, in its initial release. Well, yeah, Sixth Sense, de- definitely scarier than this film. Oh, yeah, but you didn't see a tiger or a lion eat somebody's arm. Spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so it was made for $48 million. It grossed 163 worldwide. It arguably bombed. It's not a good film. Mark Wahlberg later in his life said it was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, uh, Amy Adams was offered the role of Alma, who is uh, Mark Wahlberg's character's partner, uh, and she didn't take the role, so Zoe Deschanel got it. Um, and uh, and Mark Wahlberg is quoted as saying, yeah, she dodged a bullet yeah. talking about Amy Adams, which is really funny. Um, the financing was kind of interesting. It was, it was co-financed by 20th Century Fox and a company called UTV, which is out of India. So they did 50% financing on it, and then they were the sole distributor in India. Wow. Yeah. Um, the film was inspired by 50s and 60s paranoia films like Andromeda Strain, The Birds, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And you definitely get that vibe when you watch the film. It's like very... Yeah. The tropes are all there. It really... Feels like one of those films, but is not as good as one of those <laughs> films. Um, it was released on June thirteenth, two thousand and eight, Friday the thirteenth. Very Whoa. deliberate choice. They're trying to really um, embrace the spook with that release date. It that, didn't help. It didn't make no, any money. So, I, would, I mean, one hundred sixty-three thousand dollars is a lot of money. One hundred sixty-three million. Whoa, that's even more. <laughs> <laughs> So we made it for $48 million and we made $163,000. Wow. Can you imagine having 163000 That's a lot. That's a lot. For you and thousands. I. You and I, like, that's yeah. chump change for some. But, man, that could really. That could really turn my life around. Oh, really, God. Yeah, geez. I could pay rent for a long time with so that. I've heard of some movies uh, making, like, hundreds of dollars at the box office. That, that has happened. Those are always yeah. wild news stories to hear when they're just like, oh, this new movie that nobody really knew that was coming out. The odds surprisingly didn't make any money. Yeah, but the odds are like low. Like if you think about the population and how many theaters there are and how many ways in which you can watch a film, it's shocking that films can do that poorly financially. Yeah. It's cool, but shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was nominated for four Golden Raspberry Awards. Classic. Worst picture, worst actor, worst director, and worst screenplay. Nice. Um 
And this is also the first film that M. Night Shyamalan made where his cameo wasn't on screen. Yeah. He played uh, Joey on the phone. Um, so you hear his voice very briefly, but you do not uh, see him. Uh, and this is also his shortest film. It's 93 minutes long. Uh, all of his other films are longer, I guess. But they feel shorter. They feel way shorter. <laughs> I love films that are like 80 minutes to 90 minutes, and they feel like three hours. Yeah. That's not a good thing. No, definitely not a good thing. But, but it's a little bit funny. I do this feeling inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I love this movie, though. You do? You own it on Blu-ray. That's I how we watched it. I own it on Blu-ray, I yes. was panicking about how I was going to be able to watch it legally, of course. And uh, you you swooped in. You're my knight in shining cinephile armor. Well, going forward, I mean, I have the Blu-ray, which came with a came with a digital copy still. I believe it's, it's still valid. So if you want to download it and have it for yourself to store it on your iPod. I'm good. Okay. Because yeah, I never want to watch it again. In the instructions for the, the digital copy, it it strictly asks you to put it onto your iPod if you want to watch it later. And it's an iPod classic. Like the animation that yeah. they have to illustrate the process, very funny. Yes. Very dated. Very dated. I remember those days, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the background on the film. Uh, I guess I should do a little synopsis of the film as well. Oh, yeah, well. that's a good it's idea. It's about... Uh, it's about uh, nature sort of messing with humanity, teaching humanity a lesson. So there are these dangerous spores that become airborne. And if they enter uh, a human, it, it uh, messes with the synapses in their brain and causes them to destroy themselves. So you see a bunch of people kill themselves in uh, many different ways. Some of them are borderline funny. It's a kind of a funny Most movie. Most of them are borderline. Most of them are funny. funny. Somebody gets run over by a lawnmower that they start themselves, which yeah. is great. Um, there's a lot of scenes. It's very creative. M. Night Shyamalan really went went for it, trying to figure out how, how many different ways one could die. It was awesome. Um, so, yeah. And uh, and then Mark Wahlberg plays a science teacher, and his wife is played by Zoe Deschanel, and they basically just try to escape these spores, and then they slowly figure out that the smaller the group of people, the less likely the plants will retaliate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the plants are... They figure this out sort of by assumption, but um, if you walk by a plant and it get, kind of gets pissed at you, then it'll release these spores and then try to kill you. So, yeah, and then wind. Wind is the problem because wind carries the spores. So you see some pretty intense wind in this film. Yeah. Um, and then they uh, they get locked up in a house, and then, oh, also they have a very brittle marriage that's falling apart. And then their friend's daughter, her both her parents die so they become sort of the surrogate parents or the replacement parents and that sort of helps rectify their relationship yes and joey's the uh anonymous love interest of alma zoe deschanel's character played by m night Shyamalan. played by m night Shyamalan's vocal cords yes yeah usually um, he makes a fairly comprehensive uh, cameo it's a pungent cameo some he's <laughs> there you know he's there yeah some yeah you're just like no, really? <laughs> he's he's decided to cast himself in this sizable role? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's basically what the film's about. It's about nature sort of uh, kicking back against humanity. Man versus nature. Yes. Nature versus man, arguably. Arguably. Yeah. I was kind of rooting for the plants. <laughs> I'll admit it. Like I was kind of like, I like where this is going. Bob stands for plants. The flora and fauna got it figured out. Yeah. Well, fauna is animals. Oh, 
the animals, well, the animals aren't affected by the spores, but okay, they do they're help, on the same team. They do help kill the humans. Yeah, in that one very famous scene involving the lions, right? Eating the zookeeper, right? Yeah, the animals aren't affected, but they're still animals, so they'll be like, okay, the zookeeper wants to get eaten. I'll eat. You sure? Why not? Mm-hmm. If I was a lion, I'd eat a zookeeper. They're yeah. also in jail. These yeah. animals. Anyways, that's a whole other podcast talking about zoos. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, that's the film. That's the happening. Yes, where's cinephiles, not zoophiles? Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Spike Lee's film. Okay, so this was Spike Lee's second film after She's, She's Gotta, Gotta Have, Have It, it which uh, so this came in 1989. It was inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's TV show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Uh, there was an episode where. People were discussing whether or not weather could increase violent tendencies, and specifically hot weather. Mm. So Spike Lee was just like, hey, that's a good idea for a movie. I'll, I'll do that and make it about racial tension in America. And boy, um, did he. And boy, did he ever. It was nominated for some Oscars, uh, including Best Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Danny Aiello, the guy who played Sal, the pizza owner. Oh, yes. Yeah. Pizzeria owner. He owned pizzas, I guess, technically, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of people said it was the best movie of 1989, and it lost to Driving Miss Daisy. So it kind oh. of got green booked, if you will. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Some fun facts about the film. Robert De Niro was supposed to be Sal. Oh, that would have been cool. But they put him on the Wall of Fame and burned his photo, I guess. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Rosie Perez was cast. After Lee saw, uh, Spike Lee saw her dancing at a dance club. And she took the role because her sister lived a few blocks from set. So very similar <laughs> to the movie Xanadu, uh, where what's his putts? The dancing guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Gene Kelly. Yeah, very similar to Xanadu, where Gene Kelly uh, also kind of took the role because the set was a few blocks from his house. Convenience. So a similarity between this movie and Xanadu. And Xanadu. <laughs> Xanadu connects to Citizen Kane. All of these movies, we'll probably do one master podcast where oh, we, we, all, we connect every single film we've ever done and just draw like an insane yarn map on the wall. I love that. That's a great idea. Yes. The film was shot on Stuyvesant Avenue, uh, Bedford and Stuyvesant Avenue, had, hence Bedsty, where they always they talk about Bedsty. That's the neighborhood they live in. Oh, yes. Yeah. The most fascinating thing to me was that they built some. Uh, the pizzeria and the Korean grocery store from scratch. Why? Like they actually shot it on the avenue. There was two empty lots and they built these these two places there. Oh, interesting. So they were, and, then, and the pizza place had functioning ovens. So they were actually making pizza in the movie. They just like treated it like a real pizzeria. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty I love cool. That. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. It's really, really neat. Uh, and that's, uh, that's about it. Nice. Yeah. Um, There's a lot more on this movie, obviously. Oh, of course. You you could just rattle off info for hours. Yeah. Nobody wants that. But those are some fun facts. I thought they were really fun. I think it's fun. I like the storefront situation. That's really interesting yeah. that they built that from scratch. Also, I got all of my info from Wikipedia. I didn't really do too much research this time around. But, Me too. Uh, oh, another fun fact from Wikipedia. Samuel L. Jackson, because he was just in the radio booth the entire movie, he spent most of his time sleeping. He barely did anything. He just slept <laughs> for 90% of the running time. I love that. That he was on set and then just kind of like did a couple of scenes. That was it. What a chill gig. 
Yes. So Spike Lee, M. Night Shyamalan, both directors who appear in their own films. Yes. And both films uh, are written, directed, and produced by one person. Yes. Uh, that's, that's a good one. We just, wow, we really went into it. Yeah, we were. It was really a smooth into. transition. Um, I would argue both uh, start with a very surreal opening credits sequence. Yeah. You have the dancing and the cool lighting for Do the Right Thing. Yeah. And then you got the time lapse of all the clouds and stuff. Uh, and both both films, uh, the opening credits give give the tone of the film. So it's like very uh, uh, sort of like foreboding and fearful in the happening. And then with Do the Right Thing, it's like upbeat and it's, it uses music that's featured throughout the film and it sort of illustrates the block. And it's very moody lighting, which is like, also arguably foreboding. And it's like, oh, something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say both are feature ensemble casts. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. The the happening, maybe to its detriment, mm -hmm. had an ensemble cast, just yep. because it was like, when the people that we were watching the film with asked, did they win a contest <laughs> <laughs> to be in the movie? Which was like, yeah, that's that's a good question. That's a valid Seemed question. Seemed like they did. Some of the actors, they're letting this person say these lines. I know. It was horrible. They Also, a lot of characters would appear for a very short period of time, but when they were in the film, had tons of screen time. Yeah. Like that hot dog the hot greenhouse dog guy. guy. Like, man, he was in that movie in a major way in The Happening. Yeah. And it's the same with Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Like well, the three guys who sit against the wall and they just kind of narrate what's happening. Yeah. Um, they They... they they don't affect the plot, but they, they're they there. They're there for a long time. Yeah, both films just are ensembles where there's a bunch of characters who aren't super well-drawn necessarily. Mm -hmm. They just kind of exist for one purpose. Yeah. And then they, you know, then you move on to another character kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, both films are like that in a way. Cool. Uh, both films take place either entirely or briefly, in New York. Yeah, New York. When The Happening opened and it was in New York, I was very excited because I was like, hey, that's just like the other movie. This one will be pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's mine. Do you want to do another one before I start rattling them off? Well, they were going back to what I said earlier. They were both inspired by Hitchcock. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's his putz, uh, Spike Lee. Mm -hmm. was inspired by that TV episode. M. Night Shyamalan clearly inspired by Hitchcock in all of his movies. Yeah. But this one and seems a, like it's like The Birds pretty much. There's a huge The Birds vibe. Yeah, yeah there's, there's totally. a good Birds vibe in it. Uh, both films feature a community affected by a single event. Yes. So in uh, Do the Right Thing, it's like the pizzeria being destroyed and having the racial tension of the neighborhood uh, sort of reach its reach its peak and having that outburst of violence. Mm -hmm. um, and then for The Happening, it's obviously when the spores go airborne and people start dying everywhere. Um, yeah, everyone gets affected. And whole towns are destroyed by this single event and whole cities. Um, radios are an important thing in both films. Mm -hmm. Radio Rahim, always carrying around his boombox playing Fight the Power. Yeah. Uh, you know, just basically telling people, hey, fight the power. Yeah, and then Samuel L. Jackson, he's sort of this character that's outside of the events happening, yeah. but he articulates what's going on. Yeah. And he also seems to be this person who imparts wisdom on people. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. And then in the happening, yeah, they use the radios to get information on, yeah. you know, like that radio conveniently dangling on the farm fence. Oh, in the so field. convenient, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And then the car. 
Yeah. That truck in the middle of the field with the keys still in the ignition. Yeah, like this movie came out just as the iPhone was like becoming popular. Mm -hmm. So you'd figure that the iPhone would figure prominently into it because since it was like the you know the new paradigm of like communication. But only one scene. Only one scene, and it was just to show a lion eating a guy. <laughs> uh, uh, several lions. Yeah, guy. yeah. There was three or four of them. Yeah, they yeah. were they were they were really making a meal out of that guy. Mm -hmm. uh, both films feature a struggling romantic relationship. So you have Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg in uh, the happening, and they there's tension. They're not communicating well. Uh, it's not well f fleshed out in that film. What? But it's there. Yeah. And then in Do the Right Thing, um, Spike Lee's character and his, uh, oh gosh, I forget her name. Uh, Tina. Yeah, Tina. They uh, There's obvious conflict in their relationship. Yeah. And both couples eventually, not in a very literal way, but end up having a kid in the picture. Yeah. Um, obviously in Do the Right Thing, the kid's there the whole time, but then in The Happening, they sort of because of circumstance, adopt a kid inadvertently, mm -hmm. and then they also uh, get pregnant. Plot twist. I gave that away. I'm Spoiler sorry. alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, that but is. But they have a baby. Baby. Yeah. And both relationships become stronger by the end of the film. And both relationships are also, the thing that kind of is, is causing tension is the person's dedication to work, I assume. Um, like in well, maybe or maybe just always working. I don't really know what it. Oh no, actually, never mind. In the happening, in the happening, never mind. I wanted to draw that connection, but it didn't work. <laughs> no, but I like your style. I like because Mookie's went for always it. making. He's always a pizza delivery guy. Yeah, and he's always saying he's, he's got to go he's get that got, money. He has to get that money, and I was like, I assume the same thing to be true in the happening, of, since it's not super fleshed out. Just that he's got to make get that money. Uh, teaching junior high kids science. There's that scene though where um, his friend who later dies in the Jeep. Yes. Uh, he's like, oh, I, I saw her on your wedding day. Like, she wasn't ready. That's right. So it's like the tension is more that they just either A, never loved each other or B, rushed things. True. So, yeah. well, or maybe actually, I'm not, I'll rephrase that. Ar arguably, no, no, I'll let you go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, both relate. Both relationships are challenged by one person not being as invested as the other person. Yeah, totally. That's great. Yeah, because Mookie is all about, I guess, delivering pizza and making his money. And then Alma's not. Alma just in. is like she's, she's like, oh, maybe Joey's the guy. Maybe Joey's the guy. We had a tiramisu together. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the worst line of dialogue I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. Um, nice, nice work. Nice work, Mike. Uh, yeah, on that thanks, one. Yeah, that was thanks, good. Yeah. See, this is our process. That was a good example. You got something. Yeah, okay, here's a good one. Both uh, feature characters with uh, hand jewelry that uh, is important to the dialogue. <gasps> oh, my God, that is so So Radio good. Raheem has the love-hate rings, and he <laughs> does that whole monologue. And then Mark Wahlberg has that mood ring that he has sentimental value to. Oh, my to. God. Uh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah but they do monologues about they rings. Both, both, uh, uh, both take a really strange amount of screen time and have an emotional weight, and a lot of dialogue is shared. Um, so yeah, that's that a big is one. wild. That I'm is glad wild. you didn't pick that up because we were watching yeah. this movie and we we're kind of writing at the same time. And I was like, oh no, we're all gonna, we're just gonna have identical points. But that's good. I'm so glad we saw different stuff. Yeah, uh, both films have a, a, a important scene take place in a restaurant, a regional uh, oh, restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah. Sal's Pizzeria, obviously, and Do the Right Thing, and then that, Philbert's restaurant. Nice in Philbert. Pennsylvania. Yeah. There's a, yeah, just uh, that, that group of people finds out, uh, you know, in very explicit exposition what's going on. 
<laughs> via the television. Yeah. As happens often in the film. Yes. Like, but also... When it's I a lot watch, of screen time in uh, The Happening. Yeah, just screens on screens. We have screens for days, yet almost no iPhones. Pretty wild. Pretty wild, M. Night. But also, if I, if we were to make a uh, horror film like this, thriller horror, whatever genre this is technically called, mm-hmm. how do you convey information like that without the 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 going back to the typical thing of just being like showing a radio or a TV explicitly laying out what's up? It's doable. Oh, I mean, it's, it's very a challenge. Doable. It's a narrative challenge. But every time I see that in a movie, I'm always just like, well, this seems like you could probably convey this in a less obvious way. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's not the worst. No. Sometimes no. it's done fairly well. Like with Children of Men, it kind of did that in like. There's like newspapers and TV, but um, they they did it in a very effective way. Yeah. And then like when he leaves the coffee shop and then it like blows up. They also do it in like a very first. In a first-person sort of way. It's like, you don't hear about it. It, like, happens to him. Yes. You know? Because he leaves that coffee shop, and then it blows up behind him when he's reading the newspaper. It's like, that That says it all, I think. Yeah. In that one scene. I guess it does. Yeah, so blowing something up. Uh, both films have uh, a phone call with uh, their significant other. Yes. So, um, yeah, Spike Lee has a conversation on the phone. And Sal's with his girlfriend, and then Sal's really upset because then people can't phone in pizza orders. Yeah, they well, in The Happening, they say the line, we've lost contact with everyone. And yes. Sal is also worried about that when Mookie's on the phone. Nice. He's lost contact with all of his customers. And the second he gets off, people start calling in. So it's just like a fear, of, a fear of like losing contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both films have that. Yeah, both films technically in that way are about uh, the need for a human connection. Oh, definitely. I think you could argue the theme. Hear me out. The theme is the exact same in both films. I would also agree with that, actually. Uh, They both deal with uh, community and connection and how the only way you can persevere something challenging is with solidarity. And without that, everything crumbles and falls. Yes. Also, uh, mass paranoia, mass hysteria, Mm -hmm. American hysteria as as a concept. Well, and there's there's several scenes in both films with groups of people having identical emotions yeah. and having uh, uh, the damage that like mob mentalities can do, mm-hmm. having that unfold. So like people panicking in the happening, and then obviously there's several scenes in um, do the right thing, like at the very end when Radio Raheem dies, um, where they're panicking and then they destroy the pizzeria and then yeah. they you know they're just destroying shit, and it's like yeah that's. Both films illustrate that pretty well. Well, both films also kind of have the hysteria be conveyed through one single, somewhat unhinged character, uh, mm. like the 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 guy who does the little hot dog monologue in the happening. Yeah, who who also does a little monologue about how plants can communicate and how you have to talk to plants and, and give them good energy and give them good energy. He kind of is the one who kind of starts the thing, just like, hey, maybe it's the plants, and then other people start believing it. Yeah, uh, same within uh, do the right thing. The guy. I don't remember his name, but he was the dude who was always just like, why is there just white guys on the Wall of Fame? He kind oh, of yeah. he started just kind of this chain reaction of just of the, the groups going against each other. Yeah. Not yeah. to say that it was necessarily his fault, but But he it's definitely the spark that sort of let everything else unfold. Yeah. Well also it's like both films kind of have that thing where 
it's not necessarily that it was that guy's fault, but there was like an undercurrent that was always kind of present mm-hmm. that his spark kind of like set it off. Mm-hmm. Same with in the happening. It's just like the undercurrent of like American p- paranoia post 9-11. Yeah. So pretty interesting. You, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't say that the happening is a post 9-11 film after you watch it. This is all about America as, as it currently is, you know, man, like George Bush is ruining everything and all that stuff. Cause it's just like, if you watch it, you're like, wow, that movie sucked. That's all you're thinking. Yeah. Well, maybe it's about a lot more. Maybe M. Night was trying to convey something. He definitely was. Well, I mean, he definitely what? was trying know. to convey something. <laughs> but did he convey? I, I don't feel I don't like he did. No. Uh, another big one. I don't know if you already said this. Uh, weather plays a big part in both films. So yes, the weather sort of uh, is a symbol of the stakes uh, happening in the film. So like the hotter it gets in do the right thing, the higher the racial tension on the block is. And then um, sort of when the heat reaches its peak, that's when things start to really uh, get out of control. Yes. And then the wind in the happening, the stronger the wind, the worse the situation. It's true. And so the wind, the wind is this threat. So the wet, the weather is like this strange threat that hangs over all the characters constantly throughout the film. Well, in the happening, they actually say the, the term forces, at work beyond our understanding. Mm-hmm. When they're talking about a biological or na- natural event yes. kind of happening that might be causing something, they're kind of foreshadowing when they say that. Yeah. Because the happening hasn't happened yet. But I think that that line speaks to both films because America is a pretty effed up place mm-hmm. in do the right thing, comments on that, of course. Yeah. But it's like the racial tension that's always kind of been present in America, definitely present in this film. Oh, for sure. And for sure. it's kind of makes it so it's the tension is always there, even if it feels like it's not, you know? Yeah. Well, this is kind of like America in a nutshell, always. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another link is um, there's an older woman who imparts knowledge uh, on other characters in the film. So you, you have mother, sister, and do the right thing. And she's mm-hmm. obviously this like wise, very regal character on the block. And everybody looks up to her, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, and she sort of can impart wisdom. And then Mrs. Jones, <laughs> <laughs> she imparts wisdom on the little girl and she reaches for the cookie. Yeah. And she smacks her hand really hard and says, don't, go, don't touch something that isn't yours. Yeah. Arguably that is advice. Um, and then later gives her a cookie. Um, so that's that's a link. Is there something about how mother sister got flowers that has any sort of meaning? Just because the happening, you know, flowers are killing everybody. Oh yeah, you yeah. I there's something there because uh, the mayor gets flowers for mother sister. Yeah, and the flowers. I got nothing. Okay, that's fine. I, I was wanted to see if you could do you could do the, all of the legwork. Right, oh man! Right away. Well, let me let that percolate in my mind for a while, and okay. we, we I'm gonna make a little note, but let's come back to that because I, I like I like that. Uh, all right, I got one in the do the right thing. They had the white guy Hall of Fame on the wall. Yeah. Uh, in the happening, it takes place mostly in Philadelphia, which due to the founding fathers is kind of like the place in America that's like the white guy hall of fame. Like they all were kind of just like, totally. Hey, I like that. Philadelphia is the white guy hall of fame. If, uh-huh. you, can think, if you think about it that way, mm-hmm. there's a, I think there's a line in um, the happening, <laughs> uh, but 
it, a lot of the lines and dialogue you could say describe do the right thing in some ways. So hit I, me with I, an example. I wrote one down. If we stay here, we're going to die. And uh, a character in Do the Right Thing kind of says something very similar at the very end after Radio Raheem dies, where they're just talking about how we're not safe in our own neighborhood. Yeah, I like that. Both films have an innocent black character die. Yes. So Radio Raheem gets choked by the police and uh, and then is taken away. And then there's the character, the kid, who is trying to break into that hillbilly's house, gets shot in the head after yeah. his friend is shot in the chest. Yes. Very dark, very grim. The behind-the-scenes footage, M. Night was really stoked on that scene. He was very excited. Oh, he was very excited. Everyone said, wow, this is an R rating, baby. Yeah. They loved how R-rated that scene was. Yeah. Blowing that cute little kid's head off? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So R. Yeah, so it was R-rated. It was, oh, it was hella R-rated. Yeah, it was gruesome. It was, I would say it was a hard R. It was a hard R, definitely. So, yeah. No racial tension in the, the kid getting shot in the happening, I don't think. No, no, the reason is... Completely different, but yeah, you know, because ar- arguably, you could argue the people in that house are from a rural community and maybe have slightly more conservative views. So they, they, you, there's evidence to suggest that they are intrinsically racist characters yes. without it being articulated in the film. So you could so. say potentially that part of the motivation for them because also they shot the other kid first, yeah, and he was the one trying to kick the door in. So like the stakes were high on that kid getting shot. But the other kid was not really doing anything. No, he, he was looking out. in the window and then he saw his friend get shot and he he had his back to the window. Like he wasn't even trying to get in and then he was shot arguably sense, senselessly, which yeah. means that maybe the motivation to shoot him was racial prejudice. Okay, well, let's not, let's not dive into that too much. All right. I'm just saying it's possible. Uh, would M. Night go there? That's the question. No. No, he wouldn't. He definitely wouldn't. Oh, I would say both films are actually very timely. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, Do the Right Thing almost seems more timely than it... Mm, I, actually, I can't speak to that, actually. I can't I, I, was, I wasn't that old in the in when this film came out. And I remember the 90s, the early 90s especially, mm-hmm. and all the racial tension you hear about it on the news all the time. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely it still feels extremely timely, this film. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, relevant in well, a major was, way. They, at the ending, they dedicate... Uh, the film to a bunch of people who were killed by police violence. Yeah. So it's like the fact that this movie existed for, you know, 30 years, mm-hmm. pretty pretty depressing, I guess. Yeah. But, but in, in the happening, there's the ecological damage that's happened to the earth. Yeah, exactly. And how the earth is, you know, there's climate change and everything else that's unfolding and it's affecting it's affecting us now. So yeah. it's like, yeah, the the happening is like definitely a cautionary tale on some level. Also, in Do the Right Thing, they were talking about Donald Trump. Do you they? remember that part? No, I yeah, don't there remember was, that. They were talking about a Trump Tower. Oh. Uh, there was something in a Trump Tower that they were they were just like, I can't believe Donald, like they, there's a Trump version of this, this thing. It might have been a restaurant or. I love that movie. Yeah, it was it's good. It's so good and it's still so relevant. Yeah. It's aged very well. It, it does. Yeah, it has aged very well. Another similarity, both films aged very well. Yes. You know? <laughs> Happening, yeah, still watchable. <laughs> uh, both films have uh, a window that is smashed. Yes. So uh, Spike Lee's character smashes Sal's front window with the trash can. Mm-hmm. Then Mrs. Jones, as a means to commit suicide, just keeps shoving her head in different windows in yes. her house. Um, it takes a few for it to for her to die, but it 
it happens. Yes. This is this is a touchy one. I want you to we go can, there. We can delete it if it, <laughs> if it doesn't work. All right. Uh, the undercurrent of like American slavery is present oh. in both films. Oh, yeah, totally. Because there's the racial tension and black history that's illustrated in Do the Right Thing. Yeah. And then in this film, Mrs. Jones's house has um, uh, like a secret house with a tube that you can talk yeah. through. And uh, the other house would hide slaves from slave owners or yeah. slave chasers or whatever they're called. Yeah. Yeah. So both films definitely touch on that subject. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and, that's a good one. Mike. I didn't even ha- think of that. Oh yeah. And the happening in, they use that. That's like a pretty cool scene in terms of how they convey like the two characters having some distance from each other mm-hmm. and like finding closeness in that moment. But then also they also have Zoe Deschanel talking about how she was horny on her first date with the mood ring and stuff. So it's just like, Kind of a weird vibe given where she's like saying that. 100%. But I don't think that was really present in the thoughts of anybody making the film. They were probably, yeah, this is like beautiful, powerful probably. Uh, yeah, definitely. And judging by the behind the scenes footage, I, mean, yeah. I was stoked on every word. Yeah, I, mean, I was very stoked. <laughs> we, was watched, like, we watched some special features. He was he did not know what he was making. <laughs> he didn't know how bad it was. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Supposedly there's a, speaking of behind the scenes stuff, supposedly there's a really, really good book by Spike Lee about the making of Do the Right Thing. Oh, really? I think it might be like the screenplay, but then it also has a bunch of behind the scenes information. It's really, oh, that's I've awesome. been trying to find it. I had that for uh, Terry Gilliam's film, uh, Time Bandits. I own yeah. the screenplay and it's like also, there's a lot of photos from behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fascinating. It's a really good read. Uh, both the films feature a uh, guy making a sacrifice to save a child. The uh, John Leguizamo's character decides to leave mm-hmm. uh, and gives his child up, and because he knows he might not uh, come back. And then what about uh, and do the right thing? The mayor jumps in front of that car and saves that kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Nice. Yeah. Both uh, films feature. Uh, unnaturally aggravated characters. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a few in um, Do the Right Thing. Like There's a lot of screaming and arguing in the film and mm-hmm. Do the Right Thing, and a lot of characters are on edge. And then in uh, The Happening, Mrs. Jones is just super weird and angry, and there's the famous hallway scene that we watched three times oh, in a row because yes. it was so funny, where she, she just accused Mark Wahlberg's character of wanting to kill her in her sleep and also steal from her. I love that scene. It's so good. We and then wa- the next we, morning she confronts him again and yeah. just says the same thing. We watched that scene four times. Yeah, and it, uh, I could have kept going. I hear you whispering, planning on stealing something. No, ma'am, we're not. Plan on murdering me in my sleep. What? No. Both films feature a lot of scenes where characters are looking directly into the camera. Like M. Night, in his recent films, for whatever reason, shoots a lot of first-person POV shots. Uh, and The Happening had a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in Do the Right Thing, they do it all the time. Yeah, but it's Sometimes a little bit more powerful. It's done so... They break the fourth wall beautifully in Do yeah. the Right Thing. It's such a... The grammar of that film is really nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, not so in The Happening. No, no. It's it's no. clear in Do the Right Thing that it was a very blatant, powerful choice. And in The uh, Happening, it's clear that one ca- one actor just wasn't there that day. <laughs> and so they just had to shoot one person and then shoot the other person the other day and just have them looking at each other in this way that they're looking at the camera. Yeah. 
It must be hard to do that. To do that. And make it seem natural, like filming two two people talking to each other on different days. Yeah. That's got to be really tough because there's nothing to play off of. No. Even with playback, it wouldn't work as well. What Uh, if if the scene in The Happening, they filmed Mark Wahlberg's stuff first? So it wasn't that he was reacting to somebody else poorly. She had to act off of his, like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was just like, uh, oh, what? This is what I have to work with? <laughs> uh, okay. She, I, w- I will say in that one hallway scene, her delivery is much better. Yes. She, the dialogue is still just atrocious, but she does a nice job. Yeah, she does a pretty good considered. job. Like, she did a good job considering she was probably making, like, one twentieth what Mark Wahlberg got. Well, probably less. Yeah. And she was on set for probably three days. Yeah. Yeah. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the way that Mark Wahlberg is baffled all the time in this film. Ah, so funny. Yeah. Oh, also that line of dialogue when he's like, oh, shit, what does he say? He's in the field and he's like, do science, douchebag, or something. Oh, yeah, right. It was improvised. Oh, really? Yeah, it was heat of the moment, and then they left it in. Uh, Yeah, that seems like a questionable choice. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. From all concerned. (laughs) So that makes sense. Uh, Both films feature uh, people in cliques and groups. So in Do the Right Thing, like there's lots of groups of friends who all kind of stay separate and will walk around together in groups. Like there's the three guys against the wall, and then there's the kids who give the mayor a hard time. Mm -hmm. Then there's like a... Another group who hang out in cells, and then there's Sal and his sons, like, yeah. and they all kind of stay separate. And then in the happening, out of necessity, all the groups. Once hot dog guy dies with the army sergeant, <laughs> <laughs> um, hot dog guy. Uh, 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 Mark Wahlberg's like, oh my god, we gotta, we gotta stay separate. So then yeah. they all become the kind of band together in little micro groups out of necessity, because then the spores may or may not come after them. Yeah. Yeah. And then they run from the wind, which is blatantly a helicopter in the sky. Yes, very blatantly. Shooting wind down. But also, if you don't question how it was made, it looks cool. Yeah, it was. It did the job for sure. I'm not against it. So how else are you going to do that? Uh, I have no idea. Big fans? Lots of tiny strings attached to pieces of grass. (laughs) Pulling, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just just like 10 people just like, oh, my arms are so tired. Oh, the the strings keep coming off the grass. I keep pulling the grass up. It's like when you and I had to animate those potato chips. Oh yeah, that was, <laughs> that, was that was hell. It was arduous. Well, a lot of M Night's films are about faith or lack of faith. Yep. So like you know, signs. Obviously, mm-hmm. the guy was like a religious dude, and then he was just like, "Oh, I have faith now." And then the aliens got wet, and the movie ended. <laughs> I feel like I summarized that movie pretty good. Um, this movie, I think, is also kind of about faith in that. If it's not actually about plants, but it's more just about people being like hysterical and just buying into things blindly, mm-hmm. then that kind of is like a more interesting look at the movie, I think, than it's just being like, oh, plants are attacking people. It's just people buying into paranoid ideas very easily. And you could argue, because there's a, historically there's been a strong narrative between science and religion, mm-hmm. um, and the scene in the classroom when they like leave school early, he makes them recite what science is. And they're like, Oh, it's a couple of variables in a controlled environment. And then you design your hypothesis and then you do the experiment. Yeah. And it's like, obviously the film is pro science yet as the film unfolds, Mark Wahlberg's character, who's obviously very pragmatic and scientifically minded 
uh, shifts, and he doesn't know for a fact that there's spores from plants, blah, 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 but then he ends up talking to that plastic tree, and he's, like, trying to give it good vibes and console it. Yeah. And it's, like, obviously, he his his belief system and his doctrine shifts yeah. away from science and more towards faith and belief Yeah, and humanity, which is interesting. So, yeah, 100%. So when the happening ends and Zoe Deschanel's character and um, Mark Wahlberg's character just walk across the field from the the two places where they're separated. Yeah. Even though they could they could get poisoned by this thing, they just have faith in love. Yeah. You know? Or maybe their faith that this thing isn't even a real thing. Whatever the way you want to look at it is like cool. Yeah. That's and how they, that's they how just, they kinda end the movie. And they just let it happen. They just let it happen, yeah. You know? And then they make a baby, they just let it happen. You just gotta let it happen. M night Shyamalan. Oh my god, Shyamalan. Uh, wait, how do you say it? I've forgotten. M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There we go. I have to say the whole na- whole name. Uh, he just lets the movie happen. He does. It seemed clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Do the Right Thing, there's also that a lot of characters you talked about having faith in love, where there's characters who'd be like, it's like, hey, man, I I feel love. I feel happy. I feel oh, love. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. That, and then it's also just like the character's la- la- lack of faith in like just loving your fellow man is what kind of not causes the big uproar at the end, but makes it explode. On that note, this is both films have a dichotomy of love and hate. So, uh, and do the right thing. It's very obvious because there's racial tension and conflict in the neighborhood, and then it obviously sort of reaches its its highest point, and the pizzeria is destroyed. And then, you know, there's love throughout the film, like Sal loves uh, Spike Lee's character, um, yada yada yada. And there's a monologue from Radio Raheem. And then in the happening, there's that scene when they when they're in the small town and they're watching the news footage, and then they realize that it's like, oh, the spores are coming this way, and everyone panics and gets in their cars. Uh, some people leave Mark Wahlberg behind, but then hot dog guy and his wife pick him up. Yeah, and then there's the love of uh, that other character who decides to go to Princeton to try to find his wife. Yeah, he chooses love, and then at the very end, uh, they obviously choose love, and then they live. Yeah. So it's it's there's examples of both and how that can affect the situation. Very powerful. Both, uh, both films are equally powerful. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Well said, Mike. Both films also kind of at a certain point in the film have an Italian guy looking down at a dead guy. Yeah. I don't know how. To, I didn't know the best way to say that, but that's <laughs> kind of what happens. Like Radio Raheem dies, and then there's an Italian guy kind of like looking, looking down, down, just like yeah. what he did. And same, then, with, same with uh, in uh, The Happening, early on when the construction worker sees his friend. Oh, dead, yeah. And he's just like, he's like, Mackenzie? I assume he's an Italian dude. He is. Based on his accent. Definitely Italian. Yeah, yeah. 100%. That's a great one. I know. And that, also, that might be the best one. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And Do the Right Thing, uh, the radio is always saying, fight the power. Yeah. Uh, I would say in The Happening, they were always trying to fight the powder in that, like, the spores. Yeah, the spores, the airborne powder, totally. If, like, Public Enemy was just like, you know what? We're going to put together a parody of our own song. Fight the powder at B. (laughs) That'd be a great, uh, yeah, just like a baking situation. Great song. Yeah. Yeah. Like a supercut of Sal making pizza crust. Yeah. And then it's just like, fight the powder. <laughs> and he's just like a flower just going up in the air. <laughs> and kneading. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Also, just watching Do the Right Thing is just like, reminded me of when I was a teen in the 90s and I uh-huh. had a Public Enemy album. 
And I thought it was so cool and so fresh. Yeah. The, as I watched the movie, I also thought about how Flava Flav yeah. went from being this like political rapper who was saying really important things, like the voice of a generation in many ways. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And then like he went, he also went on to Flava of Love, like a reality show. So kind of sad. Yeah. Oh, Go on. I have another link. <laughs> There's a lot of rap featured in uh, Do the Right Thing. And uh, Marky Mark was a rapper. He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they both both films feature rap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Maybe not at the same time. No, you're right. But there's a link to rap in both films. That's actually true. No, both films. I'll say, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I Both think films feature rap because... Do the right thing had a lot of like rapping in the movie. You could yeah. hear it, and they talk about rap. Yeah, too, and in music. the happening there was a lot of rapping, but Mark Wahlberg was doing it off screen and like decades prior. <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome. Yeah, pretty sweet connection, man. I think that's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good connection. Yeah, I never really put those two together because oh, I wasn't thinking about what was happening off screen with the actors. Right, right. Are there any char- people who play characters and do the right thing who had musical careers? I don't know I don't, a lot of the actors. Yeah, I me mean, neither. I'm going to say no. Because I was R- going to try to make a link with Zoe Deschanel and her musical career. I feel like Ro- well, Rosie Perez was a dancer. Yeah, but she didn't have any albums come out, did no. she? No. I mean, she may have. Who knows? Yeah. That seemed like a thing research. that she may have done. Um, I know there was uh, Martin Lawrence was featured. I don't know if you know who he is. No, I don't. There's a, there's a somewhat sizable age difference between me and Bob for the you listeners out there. Uh, so I would know Martin from his TV show, Martin, and his stand-up, uh, where Bob may know him from Big Mama's House, too. <laughs> That's the age difference. So <laughs> All of that went over my head. I'm not going to lie what? to you. Not oh, wow. a single thing you just said was relevant You to don't me. even know Big Mama's Big House, Big Mama's too? House, too? What is that? <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> It's kind of like Mrs. Doubtfire meets The Clumps. Oh, Kind of okay. meet, meets, I don't know, like a cop movie. So Martin Big Lawrence. Big Mama's House Martin too. Lawrence was like a huge stand-up comedian in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and uh, he had his own sitcom called Martin. Yeah. And he had a pretty well-regarded comedy movie career. Definitely. Like some he, of his he movies did a lot of work. sucked. Yeah. Wait, how do you know this? You don't know who he is. Well, he was. No, I do know who he is. Oh. Then why are you now asking? I, well, no, I just realized who he was in the yeah, film. Yeah, he was in the movie Life with Eddie Murphy. I don't know yeah. if you know that one. Yeah, yeah. He was in Blue Streak, uh-huh. which was a pretty fun movie in the 90s. Yeah, he had a really good career in the 90s in comedy films. Yeah. So Big Mama's House is like, he dresses Never heard up, of Big Mama's House. He dresses house, up like a, um, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire-esque figure. He mm-hmm. just dresses up in like old woman drag. Sweet. Uh, but also a lot of like fat suit effects, a la the clumps. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, he was a cop. A while. He was a cop. Hold up. Or housekeeper, I guess. More like Mrs. Doubtfire. The more you describe Mrs. this Doubtfire. film, the mm-hmm. more I think I've seen it. I mean. He played a fat grandma cop? Undercover, yeah. Yeah, Undercover. I'm pretty sure I've seen this film. Is there a movie called Undercover Mother? Seems like the same premise to me. It is, but There's I, a movie I, called I, Undercover Brother, and I think it's a Eddie Griffin movie. Okay. Anyway. Interesting. Uh wow, what an education in film I just got from you. I mean, I think those are most of most of mine. I don't know if I Yeah, that's all else. mine too, I think. I don't really Yeah, so I think that we kind of came to the conclusion that uh what's going on? Are you farting? 
No, I was just looking to make sure we're still rolling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sweet, moving. sweet. I just didn't know if it was like the card was full. Uh, what if we just talked for literally the, a full hour and none of this <laughs> was just going to be used? It'd be such a well-oiled machine. Take two, though. Wow. Wow. It would be 20 minutes. We'd be done. Yeah, we'd be done. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that is uh, our comparison between the happening, uh, the happening, and, and do the right thing. Yeah, I think we would agree that they are both the same film. Yeah, no, no disrespect intended. No, yeah, they're both. It's they're identical films. They're identical films, and yeah. it's. I will say, like um, process wise, they're the same. Like they're both like auteur films, like single yeah. vision films. Both filmmakers actually had a similar trajectory in a way, where they. Their early films oh, were yeah. very celebrated, and then they went through a real slump. Yeah, where yep. people were just like, "Is this person? Did, why? Did, why did we think this person was any good?" And now they're, and they're starting kind to have of having a comeback. Yeah. yeah, although I would say Glass, not a great movie. No, Black, Black Klansman was a great film. That was an amazing movie, definitely. But M Night Shyamalan, like he's being able to like keep at it, mm-hmm. and Spike Lee had a real slump. Definitely, that's like a meta similarity yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's a really good one. Nice. Yeah, although Spike Lee didn't, uh, he didn't, he never went away. Sometimes he went through a slump where, like, he had well, to, like, his self, work was questionable. He had to, and he's yeah, self-financed, and he had to self-finance. And, but he, there was also like, he was still making documentaries. He made a documentary about Katrina. Yeah. Um, and like Twenty Fifth Hour supposedly was an amazing film. Okay, cool. So that was like, I guess that was late. Late nineties, so are they not both Oscar winners? Because he won Best Screenplay for Do the Right Thing. No, he was nominated. He never won. Oh, oh, well, they're both nominated. Yeah, they're both Oscar nominated filmmakers. Yeah, they were yeah. both nominated for screenplay. Actually, on the first film, Sixth Sense was nominated. It won, did it not? Uh, maybe it did. Oh, well, whatever. There's no they're, way they're, to know. They're nominated. There's no way to know. No, it's there's no way. You know, it's <laughs> interesting. This has nothing to do with the episode, but. Uh, you know, before the internet, no one had a history of the Oscars. Like you, you and I can just look up a film and be like, "Oh, how many like Oscars did it win, or what did it win?" Yeah. So Robert Osborne, famous from Turner Classic Movies, may he rest in peace. Rip. Uh, he his claim to fame before he started TCM or hosting TCM was he wrote a book which was just a chronological order of every Oscar winning film ever made and what it won in which year. Wow. So he just made a list of every Oscar year. And listed each category, each nomination, and each win. And that was like revolutionary because then people were like, oh, because there's no catalog, no yeah. published catalog. You would have and it to took like years buy the book yeah. to do it. Like it was really hard to Where, get that info. Whereas now, just some nerd puts together a Wikipedia page and he doesn't get any money for his work. No. You know? No. And he doesn't become an anchor on a television network. Yeah. Yeah. Probably for the best. Yeah, definitely. Probably for the best, yeah. So yeah, I guess that's the episode. That's the end of the episode, yeah. So since we're on social media, if you, our fans, our illustrious fans, wish to watch the films and also make comparisons, if there are ones we missed or ones that you saw or think that should be different, feel free to shout out. Yeah, us. feel free to shout us on our social media. Yeah, on the if Twitter, you, If on you say the something, we'll read it on the show, assuming somebody says something. We'll definitely do it, yeah. Yeah, or just send us any other comments, thoughts you have, Yeah. anything else. Uh, yeah, our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Nice. The handle for all of them is from Justin to Kane with a letter two. And by letter two, I mean <laughs> number two. From Justin to Kane. From with Justin two. to Kane, all of them have the same handle. So nice. Pretty easy to find. 
Yeah. Yeah. Tweet Thanks us on to Mike Twitter. for doing that. Oh, like, no making problem. our social media presence so uh, prominent. If you find us on Twitter, tweet at us. Find yeah. us on Instagram. Direct message us. Slide into our DMs, if you will. <laughs> and letterbox just, you know, write a comment or whatever. Yeah. And also visit our letterbox page. We will be sharing our notes on the reviews of those films. Yes. If you're a letterbox user, that makes sense to you. Yeah. I think that's everything. Until well, ne- but until next time. Until next time. This is from Justin to Kane. I'm Bob LaRue. And I'm Mike Robertson. Farewell. Bye. Bye. <laughs>